0: It is Quittin' Time. Mike Shermack here, and Quittin' Time highlights people who make things happen here in the Lakes area. We have someone who lives really close to me. I guess he lives right down the street, but um, I picked up this really interesting book, Stands Before His People, and we actually have the author here. It is Steven. Steven, how's it going? It's going great. And I remind
1: you, I'm co-author as well. I had a partner right. and uh, mm-hmm. we, we uh, share equally in this endeavor.
0: Yeah, Vern Pickering.
1: That's correct.
0: Okay, And I actually met you at the Northern Pacific Center's, I don't know what they call it, it's every Thursday. It's a, a vendor fair, but I
1: think they call it a farmer's market fair. Right. So uh,
0: even though a lot of it isn't food, I mean, uh, you're selling a book. So, yeah, this book is about this legendary guy who lived right here in Minnesota who became a missionary. And so I just want to ask you, I mean, all about this, like this book has been incredible to read through for people who love the area. This is history. And so I just want to ask you, how did you get into this? What made you interested in this? Well, when I
1: was in ninth grade, I went to church camp at uh, Castle Lake Episcopal Camp, which is on the Leech Lake Reservation. And half the kids were Ojibwe, and all the priests were Ojibwe. And around the campfire, they would talk about N Magabo, who was a missionary among the Ojibwe who had converted all their families to Christianity. And so they were at a church camp, and... In those days, I was kind of shy, and they were kind of shy, and we just hit it off, and they became my friends not only for those developing years, 9th through 12th, they became my friends for life. And I probably, I became a priest in the Episcopal Church for many reasons, but certainly that was one of the reasons. Church camp and my Ojibwe friends and listening to the stories about and Magabo around the campfire and listening to them uh, uh, share their feelings. They don't like to brag, Mm -hmm. but, uh, and in fact, I really wanted a Native American Ojibwe to be part of the authorship, and they refused. (laughs) They said, this is your chance to to tell the tale, and uh, they were willing to look at the drafts and, Mm -hmm. and give me good feedback, and And gave me, gave us high accolades, but uh, they expected us to do the work, and and we did, and uh, it's been very heartfelt. But that's what started it. Mm -hmm. These
0: are people who were directly affected by this person.
1: Oh, absolutely. Their families, uh, I don't know what generation, you know, Emma Gabo died in 1902, you know, and this was, what was ninth grade, uh, um, probably 59. 1959, so maybe third, possibly fourth generation of uh, of Christians already. And look back to Emma Gabo, uh, who founded probably 20 churches on three reservations. Wow. If not founding them, inspired them to be found.
0: Mm-hmm. Unreal. And so you had the support of all of your friends. Yes. <laughs> but it, if not necessarily authoring with them, but you had their support and help. Yes. And then I,
1: as I got assigned to southwestern Minnesota and worked among the Dakota people, and then I got called to Brainerd, Minnesota in 1980, which is exactly where Ann Magabble was from 1852 to 1868. And so there was kind of this tug that you know, um, you have an obligation here to share Amagabo's story. And the first thing I did was edit edit a book that actually uh, was published shortly after his death about uh, the uprising in 1862 up here in the north. Hardly anybody knows about the uprising up here, but and that is in my book as well. But his whole account uh, is a, a booklet form that I edited. It was originally published by uh, St. Barnabas Hospital in Minneapolis okay. to be handed out to patients there when hospital stays were much longer. And so I, I would celebrate uh, knowing him and speak well of the Ojibwe heritage. And then Brainerd became part of what's the, the northwest me- region where all three reservations are, White Earth, Leech Lake and mm. and uh, Red Lake. And those reservations all had predominantly uh, um, Episcopalians. And in fact, Red Lake is one of the few places where the Episcopalians are the majority, which is hard to believe. But right. uh, um, And it's thanks to Amagabo and the people he inspired to to be ordained and to be converted to Christianity. His grandfather was uh, a medicine man and initiated him into the Grand Medicine Lodge. But his grandfather gave him the name Enmagabo, which means stands before his people, and that's the title of the book. But he, uh, his mother was Christian, and so he grew up in a, in a mixed family. Oddly enough, when he became a Christian, in fact, just before he was ordained, he refused to uh, repudiate his native religion. He said that his native religion was his Old Testament. It was what brought him to God. And he said, I see nothing in my native religion that is inconsistent with Christianity. And he said, just as you have the Hebrew scriptures for your Old Testament, I would like to keep my Old Testament as my Ojibwe stories and heritage that I've learned from my uh, father and grandfather. So, and Bishop Whipple, who Whipple Lake and Baxter is named after, right. he, he said, okay, and ordained him to be priest in the Episcopal Church. And he served here in the Brainerd area, first as a layperson, and then... Uh, as uh, ordained deacon and then priest. It's an interesting tale, too, um, about how he became an Episcopalian. When he was a youngster, an Anglican missionary asked his parents if he couldn't have a Magabo with his own family for a summer to Mm -hmm. teach him reading, writing, and arithmetic and religion. And they agreed, and so Fosterage among the uh, Canadian Ojibwe that were Adawa, which is what band he was part of, the Rice Lake Band, and Adawa was his, uh, his clan. The Adawa were traders, and one of their qualities was fosterage, and they would foster out a child usually exchanging children so that they could learn about each other's culture and mm. and it would help them later in trade commerce and so um and magabo learned reading writing and arithmetic from this anglican minister but towards the end of summer he ran home ran away he was homesick right and so uh, and then a few years later a methodist minister came by and did the, offered the same thing and he went and As he tells it, he didn't see his parents hardly at all again. I think we've shown that he did get back to Rice Lake, whether his parents were living or dead, we weren't able to determine exactly. But he did make it back to Canada for visits and got a lot of support from Canadian Christians for the ministry here in Minnesota. He then became a catechist in the Methodist Church, and they asked him if he wouldn't be ordained. And he said, "Well, he didn't feel that he was ready to be ordained, but if he could get educated, and the Methodist agreed to see that he get educated." In a very daring move, three Ojibwe men, including Emma Gabo, George Capway, and a fellow by the name of Marksman. They went to seminary, Methodist seminary, in Jacksonville, Illinois, and they were paired up with three white missionaries who were training, and they learned each other's culture and farming methods And for two years. It was intergenerational because um, so the, it was part of a farm family uh, the, that the educator was, and his children were part of the class and others in the community were part of the class and after two years they ordained him. He came to work in the eastern part in the area of Fond du Lac for the Fond du Lac Reservation and uh, he married a woman from Fond du Lac. I, I just love her name, Iron Sky Woman. Her father was Spotted Tail who was related to Hole in the Day, a brother of Hole in the Day. And Spotted Tail was a war chief who settled pretty much the St. Croix Valley. And Anmagabo shot a moose um, to impress her, her father, and he agreed to the marriage. Well, they went to a trader to get goods. The trader made a racial sur. Magabo held him down while his wife Charlotte beat the snuff out of him. And the trader was a Methodist brought up charges against him. He went on trial and was defrocked by the the Methodists. And he he was so distraught, wanted to go back to Canada. He got on board the John Jacob Astor over over by Madeline Island. A storm blew him back, went out again, and a storm blew him back, and he decided his Jonah experience, that (laughs) God didn't want him to leave Minnesota. Wow. He went down to Fort Snelling, met the Episcopal chaplain, Ezekiel Gear down in St. Paul at Fort Snelling, and Father Gear listened to his tale and said, well, you should become an Episcopalian. We think you did uh, pretty well with your behavior, and so he did. And he met James Lloyd Breck, uh, a missionary in the metro area, they hit it off. A couple of his children are named after Breck. And together, they were invited by Hole in the Day not by now. Uh, they had moved to, Hole, to the Gull Lake area where Hole in Day's village was. And he wanted them to be there to form a school and a church and invited them. So uh, that's how he came to this area. And Mission Road and St. Columba Road, you probably pass it all the time. And it's St. Columba, not St. Columbo
0: okay. Uh, Someday
1: that needs to be corrected, but... uh,
0: Is that how it's spelled on there? I have no permission. Yeah, it ends with uh,
1: O, and that was all because of my friend Carl Zafi. I love the man, but he had an odd (laughs) sense of humor, and rather than call his place Columba after the historic uh, Scottish saint, he called the road he lived on St. Columbo. And that was the, what, Italian actor, Detective Colombo. And,
0: and the city went with it?
1: They did. <laughs> so someday it'll have to be corrected, or those of us in the knowers is going to have to grit our teeth and bear it. But right. it, it is, was St. Columba and Mission Road, and he had the, a mission where he taught the four R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, and religion. But it wasn't a boarding school. It was a village school. The kids went home at night. And it was probably intergenerational as well. There there are times when uh, adults would have been part of the school. The Episcopal Church was very supportive, sent lots of people to help in educating. And uh, for the National Church, Indian ministry was focused right here at Gull Lake. For many years until it expanded to the Dakotas and then out west. So um, and Magabo was the person who was spearheading the Episcopal Church's missionary efforts. So from right here at this base.
0: And then you have ties with the Episcopal Church, obviously, with St. Paul's by Gregory Park. Yes.
1: I was... Uh, Ordained in uh, 1970, and I think I'm in my 52nd year as an ordained person. At first a deacon for six months and then a priest. I started out in Marshall, Pipestone, Lake Benton, and Laverne, and then went to St. Peter for, that was two and a half years. There I got married, and then I went to St. Peter for eight years and had two children. And then Brainerd called me, and uh, I was here for 18 years. And I went on the bishop's staff for 10 years and was in charge of the 218 area code, in effect. So I had many churches on behalf of the bishop. Wow. And that included all three reservations. So I've kind of come full circle from my youth. It's just been uh, uh, an amazing, what, coincidence or God incidence of, Mm -hmm. uh, of intertwining with my Ojibwe friends
0: there's a sign that I really like at the Episcopal Church and it says the worship is over the service begins were were you a part of putting that up
1: well I don't I can't remember for sure but I certainly resonate with the feeling um I think we have the feeling like uh, church is just uh, an hour event inside a building and, and church is obviously much more than that. I mean, we're the church 24-7 and if we aren't there to get uh, inspired to go out, and in fact, I think even the word mass sometimes is misunderstood. I, I think mass involves hogpiling on the world. So uh, it uh, has some connotations that uh, mean much more than just receiving bread and wine. You receive something to be fed to to carry on some kind of mission and exercise in the world.
0: When did this book come out? I guess it's something I've never asked you before. I
1: think it was about two years ago, April of 20? 20. Because of COVID, it's just been kind of hard. So I, right. I could be wrong. It might have been A- April of 21. But mm-hmm. Um, we really started selling, I think, in April '21, mm-hmm. and uh, we're you know, we share equally in the profits. But all my profits, I don't want to receive a penny from my Ojibwe experience. Uh, I've received my reward, and so I'm in the process of an endowment for Indian work to our diocese. We have approximately 11 churches that are predominantly native american mm-hmm. both uh ojibwe and dakota but we have four churches on on white earth three on uh, leech lake and two on red lake all of which all of them were inspired by Inmagabo, and there and he probably did closer to 20 churches they've been consolidated over the years but my research started a long time ago i I, I've been telling people maybe 40 years, you know, on and off. I, I would take a vacation somewhere and try to get into a library and the archives, uh, presidential. He met five presidents, so there's presidential libraries to see. And so, and I've collected, he was a, he wrote a lot of letters. Mm. And I said he was spear pre, spearheading. The Episcopal Church's missionary efforts among Native Americans. And so he wrote to leadership in the National Episcopal Church, to his own bishop, um, fellow clergy, um, lay donors. Jenny Jenny Lynn was one of the donors. So um, he received a thousand dollar donation from her, which was a lot in those days. Right. yeah. Yeah. He went on several trips, which he would call begging trips and he was quite successful Mm -hmm. in uh, encouraging donations to to White Earth and and to the Minnesota Indian ministry. It probably took us, and and we were, his handwriting is awful. And so Vern started by helping me. We were together on Episcopal Community Services uh, board up in Bemidji, and so we struck up a friendship. And then he was wondering what I was doing, and I mm-hmm. said, well, I I have these l- letters I'm transcribing, and I would do that during a board meeting sometimes. So so he said, well, I, I could help with that. And so I started dr- dropping letters on him, and pretty soon he said, well, are you, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to write a book. And mm-hmm. he said, well, what would it be like? And I, I put an outline down of what I was thinking. He said, well, you should write this book. and I. But I was so into research, mm. and I'm still having withdrawal from research. Uh, it's it's like hunting for Easter eggs. It's just. But he encouraged me to write, and and then he said, well, "You know, I'd I'd like to be a partnership." I probably wouldn't have written the book. I'd still be researching had <laughs> had he not kind of stepped in, and mm-hmm. and uh, he's now in his 90s, and and uh, but boy, he. Uh, he kind of led the, the writing part of the, the book. Um, you know, we both participated, but, and I did most of the research, but he did some research too. So it's been a joint effort, and um, he hasn't declared how he'll spend his half of the proceeds, sure. but I'm sure he'll be generous.
0: But it wouldn't have happened without his help.
1: I don't think it would have. I, I needed some kind of help and partnership because uh, um, it's a big task to write a book. And I, I don't have another book in me. I, I may have some articles, but there, it's not going to be another book. Sure.
0: And you're the guy that goes out, sits at the table, and talks to people, tells them about it. What is something that a lot of people are really curious about when they come up and talk to you?
1: <laughs> there are some things that they don't know about our area. There's some things they don't know about Ojibwe. Feelings or or uh, or beliefs and and some of the history around here, uh, um, hardly anybody knows about the tragedy at Big Sandy Lake, where 400 Ojibwe died, and Magabo felt it was intentional. Um, they had been invited. This was after treaties that M. Magabo helped negotiate as a chief uh, interpreter. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for, Indi- for Ojibwe in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. So he had, he cast a wide shadow. And they were to be paid an annuity once a year, and the territorial governors decided that they would have placed the annuity at Big Sandy Lake, which is just north of McGregor. And a remote spot to make it hard for the Indians to get there Right. From Michigan and Wisconsin, in particular, pretty easy for Roll Lake, but or easier. But they had to be present, men, women, and children, to get the you know, their maximum annuity that was allowed by treaty. They were supposed to get their annuity in June, July, August, September. No annuity. October, no annuity. Well, winter is coming. People started to. They were out of food. They had hunt, uh, hunted and fished out hunted outfished the area, and now we're at the point where some were starving, and the Indian agents um, dropped off tainted pork, and 400, even though when Magabo told people not to eat the pork, it was bad, people did, died, and right, well, 400 starving. of them. And unfortunately, one of them was his own mother-in-law, So, which they buried on the way back home here to Coal Lake.
0: I couldn't believe that they included that th- the kids had to be present.
1: Yeah, you couldn't do it by proxy. No, they had to be all be present. Right. It, it it is, and and we don't. There's lots of history, and and we're trying as a community to to recover some of the Indian heritage here. A, a little thing. This isn't in the book, but it's it should have been. We Squaw Lake or Squaw Point is uh, one of the points at Gold Lake, and when the GPS people started to do their apps. They thought squaw point was not a very good word. And, of course, squaw isn't a good word. So they changed squaw point to gull point. Well, there's a story behind squaw point. Um, the, the point goes out facing north. So you can see sunrise and sunset from, from that point. And so um, Holanday's Village would select a woman to go out to Send prayer to say prayers and to greet the morning and to say goodbye to the night. And when settlers saw her go out, they would say, Well, that goes there, that squaw to the point, and it got to be known as squaw point. Mm-hmm. Well, if you call it gull point, which I, th- I, I don't like the idea of squaw either, but you lose any kind of connection with Indian people by calling it gull point. Mm-hmm. So, how do we remedy it? I, I think it's up to the Ojibwe to give us guidance. And we should be able to ask them, you know, what what should we? Now, another one is the creek that goes through uh, the Arboretum. It's Whiskey Creek, right? What did the Ojibwe call it? Manitou Creek. What does Manitou mean? Well, Gitchie Manitou is the Great Spirit. So it's Spirit Creek. Well, how did it get from Spirit Creek to to Whiskey Whiskey Creek? Well, we know how it happened. But you lose any kind of spiritual focus of the creek, and and you can't help but go to the arboretum and sit near the, the creek, and say that this, this is a special place, and people, um, our forebears, our Ojibwe forebears, saw it as Spirit Creek, and and again, we'll need help from our Ojibwe friends to say, well, should we, how should we deal with this, the Canadians, they kept they at least have two names for some of these places mm-hmm. they'll have the predominant uh, name of the dominant culture and they will have whatever tribe or band is there what they called the the place so you see but they're used to that with french and english right and and we aren't as uh, as inclusive as they have had to be over the years mm-hmm. so we'll we'll see what we've we're uh, we're going to do Right, and and I know the city's been working hard to with the Ojibwe community, to try to um, um, be as honest as they can be about the many years that the Ojibwe were in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, they were here to welcome us when we came.
0: Right. Where can people find your book?
1: Well, they can buy it directly from me. It is in Cattails, uh, so okay. the bookstore here in town. In downtown. Brandon. And it is in uh, um, the historical society. So is uh, sells it there as well, so you can get it in those those places. Both of those places, uh, uh, the authors get sixty percent, and the store gets forty, which I think is very fair. You can buy it online, um, and uh, I've been discouraging that. Um, 55 uh, percent I think is too big a share mm. that's more than the authors get and and I think that kind of uh, um, percentage affects bookstores uh, bookstores generally are selling at 60 40 um, and and I think that's fair because they're promoting the book, they're answering questions, they have right. the book on their shelves. They're part of our community, they pay taxes. They're Right. So they got to have the lights on. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so I I think that's more than fair. And and uh, so I've been discouraging online um, even though I myself buy a lot of things online, I try to stick I try to look locally for things and if I can't right. get it locally, for the very reasons I mentioned, uh, if if somebody is teaching your kids soccer or something like that, well, I just don't feel comfortable uh, not doing business locally.
0: Right. Yeah, Cattails Cat is a great store in downtown Brainerd. So. It is. Okay, cool. Well, people should go check that out. And um, I don't know if you have a website for people to check out or anything. I do.
1: Standsbefore.com is the website. Uh, we haven't been selling. <laughs> I just got a credit card. I, I've been doing cash and check, but you know how, many, how few people have checks anymore. Right. It's just embarrassing. And and uh, I was surprised that um, it's pretty reasonable to have a credit card. So I have a, I have the Square, and I've sold one book so far, <laughs> but I sold ten uh, a couple of weeks ago on the east, at Hunters Point on the east side of milwaukee and I could have sold five more if I had a credit card. So I decided nice. to bite the bullet and and get the credit card all organized. Well, and,
0: Square is free, right? I no,
1: I. I um, you, well, you pay a initial fee to buy the Square, What's and Square. that I bought at Target here in town. Mm. And then there's uh, I think it's. I don't quote me on that, but it's about 2.8 percent goes yeah. to. Okay. The processing the uh, credit card and getting it into my bank account mm-hmm. so uh, and then they have a, you know a trail because uh, um, I have to pay the sales tax to stay out of jail Yes. that's a good thing right. <laughs> plus I'm happy to pay the sales tax right
0: alright well I appreciate it Stephen thank you for stopping by I'm,
1: I'm happy to do it and and uh, one of the side effects side has been great conversations, including one I had with you. but also sixth grade teachers, um, they've invited me to come to their class and and uh, do uh, some question and answers with the kids. and mm-hmm. I, I'm I'd love to do that and right. I, I don't charge for that at all. Yeah, but it's it's a service to, to get the word out I I think we and I hope if somebody sees something that needs to be corrected they give me feedback because you never know what you don't know